I don't know about you, but I have always had a bit of difficulty attaching deep spiritual meaning to the cultural holiday of Thanksgiving. I'm not cynical about it, but some of the challenge of that for me personally is the fact that the spiritual discipline of giving thanks is meant to be a way of life for the Christ follower, right? Not a set aside holiday, but a daily approach to the world. Give thanks in all circumstances, in fact, is the counsel of Scripture. And so to say to a Christ follower that they need to set aside a particular day for giving thanks is, ta is tantamount to saying to a human being, you need to set aside a particular day for breathing. It can be just that artificial. Add to the artificiality, the complicated history of our land, and couple that with the fact that so many people, and let's just be honest about this for a moment, so many people will spend the better part of Thanksgiving consuming inordinate amounts of food. And what we're left with often is a holiday that is less about giving thanks and more about accommodating our various appetites. A holiday that is often, not always, but often less about filling ourselves with the impulses of God and more about stuffing ourselves with lesser things. One of the scriptures that we heard this morning from the New Testament letter to the church at Thessalonica speaks indirectly to the contrast between being meaningfully filled and being superficially stuffed. Only the scripture utilizes the image of sleep and awakeness, night and day, drunkenness, and sobriety. Let us not fall asleep, writes a biblical author by the name of Paul to a group of Thessalonian Christians. Let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, he continues, those who sleep tend to do so at night, and those who get drunk tend to drink at night. But as followers of Jesus, we belong to the day. Therefore, let us be awake and sober. Let us be awake and sober. Putting on, or another way of reading it, taking in, filling up with faith, hope, and love. And if you know anything about Scripture, those three biblical concepts, faith, hope, and love, should sound a bit familiar to you. This same author utilizes those same biblical concepts in another passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The love chapter, read frequently at weddings. Faith, hope, and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. Well, here we are in another section of Scripture, and this same biblical author is highlighting these same biblical principles. Let us keep awake and sober, and let us fill ourselves up with faith, hope, and love. Here's my paraphrase of this moment of Scripture. In this world that can often become, often become, um, idolatrous about the satisfying of its own appetites, resist the temptation, resist the temptation to be stuffed with the things that might cause spiritual drunkenness and spiritual slumber, and instead fill yourself with things like faith, hope, 
and love so that you might be awakened and sober to the things that matter most. Maybe then the challenge for the church around Thanksgiving is to infuse this cultural holiday with spiritual meaning. And that's really what the church does in so many instances. We infuse Thanksgiving with spiritual meaning so that we might increase the likelihood that we will experience Thanksgiving as a time of being filled with faith, hope, and love and not superficially stuffed with lesser things. And how do we do that as the church? How do we go about that? Well, maybe a starting point is to think about the church's most important meal. It's a meal that we celebrate once a month here at the 11 o'clock worship service. We celebrate it every week at the nine o'clock service right next door in the chapel. I'm making reference, of course, to Holy Communion, sometimes called the Lord's Supper. Now, why in the world would I be drawing our attention to Holy Communion? We're not even celebrating it here at the 11 o'clock service today, but why would I be drawing our attention to Holy Communion on the occasion of the Sunday before Thanksgiving? Only one reason. Because another word for the sacrament of Holy Communion is Eucharist. And Eucharist is a Greek word. Do you know what it means in English? It means Thanksgiving. Eucharist means Thanksgiving, which is to say Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, is the church's defining Thanksgiving meal. Not in terms of portion, but in terms of meaning and transformation. And so if our desire is to infuse Thanksgiving, cultural Thanksgiving with spiritual meaning, if our desire is to increase the likelihood of being meaningfully filled and not simply superficially stuffed, Maybe a great starting point is to re-engage some of the rhythms of the church's Eucharist, some of the rhythms of the church's Holy Communion. For example, whenever the people of God gather around the table of Holy Communion, they normally begin with what? The confession of sin and the re-engagement of the reality of God's forgiveness. It's a time when the church's people acknowledge their perpetual neediness in the presence of God and they make themselves available to receive afresh the mercy that only God can provide. What I'm about to say is important, please hear it. The church does not confess its sin to generate a spirit of self-contempt. And it is important to emphasize that point because the church, sadly, has a long and ugly history of weaponizing even the confession of sin, often against those who are struggling to gain a sense of their sacred worth. The church does not confess its sin to generate a spirit of self-contempt Rather, the church confesses its sin so that the church's people might gather at the table of Holy Communion with a truthful understanding of just how desperate their need for God's grace truly is. Reverend Tyler Heston, who uh, is facilitating the retreat this weekend, wrote something interesting in one of his recent articles. He wrote that confession is the spiritual exhale before the inhale of communion. And I so appreciate the imagery of that. The spiritual exhale of the confession of sin is not an expression of self-loathing designed to keep people under the weaponized ecclesiastical authority of the church. 
but the spiritual exhale of a confession of sin is a liberation of the soul so that the soul might be able to breathe more deeply the grace that God so wants the soul to breathe. It is not about debilitating guilt. It is about liberated breathing. I wonder, might we do well? Might we do well to approach cultural thanksgiving in that same spirit of confession and beginning again? What impact might that have? What impact might it have if we were to carve out some moments of solitude and prayer and even confession in our bedroom or in our living room this week or maybe even Thanksgiving Day simply for the purpose of beginning again in the grace of God, simply for the purpose of allowing our souls to breathe more deeply the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy that God wants our souls to breathe. What might that look like for you? Here's what it's looking like for me. So, a personal confession. In Tara, uh, well, with Tara, as we have made adjustments to life in New York City, one of the things, one of the things with which I've struggled the most in my personal discipleship, strangely enough, has been prayer. Strange thing for a pastor to say. But in my personal discipleship, I've struggled with prayer. Now, some of that might have to do with the excitement of ministry in this place and, and the attention that it demands. Some of it might have to do with the pace at which life in New York City moves. And if you've noticed, sometimes that pace tends to go against sitting still in prayer. Have you noticed that? I suspect you have. But whatever the cause, too many of my recent days, not all of my recent days, but too many of my recent days have been relatively devoid of sustained, attentive prayer. Don't misunderstand me, I still pray, but so much of my prayer is on the run. Between things, sentences here, sentences there, praying for people who are on my heart and mind. That prayer also is important, please hear that. That's part of praying without ceasing. But I'm weird enough to believe, friends, I'm weird enough to believe that sustained and attentive prayer for others is still one of the most important things that a minister of the gospel does. And too many of my days recently have been devoid of that kind of sustained, attentive prayer. It makes me so grateful that I'm a part of our morning online prayer ministry in the life of the church here. That morning online prayer ministry has become a spiritual family to me. And there are some days when the praying that I do with that morning prayer group is the only sustained and attentive prayer that I experience that day. My confession before God, and it is an authentic one. My confession before God and my confession before you is that I'm currently accommodating an inconsistent life of prayer. And I place that inconsistency upon the always wide altar of God's grace. And in that grace, I commit this thanksgiving to beginning again in prayer. And that too is an authentic commitment. This week and this thanksgiving, I'm committing to spending sustained and attentive time praying for a congregation that I've come to love, praying for people in my life who are dear to me, praying for a world about which I'm desperately concerned. Confession, beginning again in grace. They are essential rhythms in the church's Eucharist. Might they become central rhythms in our celebration of Thanksgiving this week so that Thanksgiving might take on a whole new spiritual depth? What might that look like for you?
It is also the case that sometimes when the church celebrates the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and we experienced this earlier, but the people who are gathered will exchange in what the church has called the passing of the peace. And historically, that has been an opportunity, hasn't it? It's historically been an opportunity for worshipers to extend to one another some sign of welcome, some sign of love, some sign of the peace of Christ, thereby bearing witness to the mystical community that we believe Jesus makes possible in a world that so often gravitates toward hatred, contempt, broken relationship. And I wonder, I wonder, might we do well to approach cultural thanksgiving with that same kind of commitment to be instruments of peace and reconciliation in our network of relationships? with our friends and with our family members and with our co-workers and maybe particularly with people with whom we have lost connection over this last year or over these last couple of years. What might it mean for these souls to be unexpectedly nurtured by your willingness to extend a communication, a phone call, a, an email, a text with no agenda except to communicate that they are on your heart and that you are grateful for their presence in your life. And how might that be translated as an experience of the peace of Christ, whether they name it that way or not? Oh, friends, even as I say that, I have people in my mind, people with whom I have lost connection, people I love very dearly, but in the transition here, I've lost connection with them. Another point of confession, I suppose. And I'm committed this week to reaching out to them somehow with no agenda except to communicate to them that I miss them. That they're on my mind, that they're in my heart, in the hope that that will manifest itself as some portion of the peace of Christ. And why wouldn't I do that? Because the passing of the peace is a central rhythm in the church's celebration of Eucharist. Why wouldn't it also be a central rhythm, an essential rhythm, in the celebration of cultural thanksgiving for the Christian believer. And then finally, before they break the bread and share the cup, Christian people will engage in something that the church has historically called the great thanksgiving. And it's an opportunity to call to mind with specificity and with gratitude all of the weird and remarkable things that God has done in God's relationship with this world, and more particularly, all the things that God has accomplished in the life, in the ministry, in the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Holy are you, O God. Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection. You gave birth to your church. You delivered us from captivity to sin and death, and you made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. I like to think of the great thanksgiving as an opportunity when the church's people open up the photo album of God's salvation history. And I find myself wondering, what might it mean for the church in a cultural thanksgiving to create opportunities, to carve out time in which both in solitude and with other people, we might intentionally name with gratitude and specificity all of the ways that we sense God has been redemptively active over the course of our lives. What might that look like and what might that mean? You know, one of the things that I'm looking forward to this Thanksgiving, not done it since I've moved to New York, 
but we're staying in the city for Thanksgiving, and so I'm looking forward to sitting with Tara on one of our couches and looking at some of our photo albums. We haven't done that since we, but they are unpacked now, uh, so I know that they're around, and some of our photo albums are old school. Some of them are actual books with photos inside. You see kids, they had, oh, never mind. Uh, but they, and then other newer photo albums are digitized, and they're on our computer screen, but I really want to sit on the couch for a while and look at some of these photo albums. I don't know how you relate to photo albums, but I see them as spiritual instruments, or they can be for personal great thanksgiving. Hey, Tara, do you remember when we had this meal with mom and dad and how special a night that was? Do you remember when we had the opportunity to visit this part of the world and to see those mountains and to see that ocean? You remember that ridiculous birthday party and how much we laughed that night? See, great thanksgiving is part of the church's experience of Eucharist. Might it also become part of the way we approach Thanksgiving week and Thanksgiving day and the days after Thanksgiving? <clears throat> Confession of sin and beginning again, the passing of the peace, the great thanksgiving, these are the rhythms that give to the church's Eucharist its structure. Maybe these same rhythms will help us to experience Thanksgiving this year in a way that will feel more like being meaningfully filled with faith, hope, and love instead of superficially stuffed with the things that lead to spiritual drunkenness or spiritual slumber. I'm encouraging you to embrace or to re-embrace these rhythms so that Thanksgiving for you this year might become an authentic Eucharist a time of transforming encounter with the living presence of Jesus, in whose name we gather this day, and in whose name I gratefully preach. Amen.